Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Welcome to a new series of MotoGP podcasts that we're doing here on the race that are essentially a MotoGP extra, a behind-the-scenes talk about the past and also very much the present. We're going to have one-on-one chats with names that you'll recognise from on track, in the pit lane and around the paddock of Grand Prix circuits. My name is Toby Moody and for this chat... I'm talking to a real fighter from the racetrack through the two-stroke and into the four-stroke MotoGP era. Someone who's universally liked and always good fun to be around. He's a fighter and one with a never-give-up spirit who is as good uh, with his words as he is with balancing the throttle. Jeremy McWilliams, welcome. How did you get into the sport? All I can remember is that you were a late starter. Everybody's a late starter compared with nowadays, I suppose. I got into Grand Prix when I was about 29 years of age, so quite old to be getting into GPs, but relatively quickly for me because I'd only started racing when I was 23 or 24 years of age. And you were with, was it Queens on a 500? Was that your first ride? Where was it? It was with Miller uh, Transport. So Joe Miller had a GP team. Eddie Laycock had been riding for him for a number of years in GPs. You know, they, they, had a, they were one of the, the better privateer teams. And uh, Joe basically called me up around about Christmas time, 1992, after being watching me really all year watch racing all over the place, Assen, Mandela Park, uh, British Championship rounds, and called me up and said, can you come up and have a chat with me? I want you to go uh, come along and race with me in GPs and on the 500. Uh, go and give your job up. <laughs> give everything up and, and come along, and that's what happened. Well, at least you were good with the electrics on the bike, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was working in electronics at the time with uh, Chubb, and had a good job. I was managing the department. And it was quite a big a big thing to you know walk in one day and say hey guys i'm 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 walking away from this and i'm i'm gonna take a career racing motorbikes uh probably thinking that you know i I might last a year at it and probably come back with my tail between my legs asking for my job back and that nearly did happen but uh i managed to get through into the next year and you know the rest is history Mm. i remember i bumped into you in the uh in the pit lane at Eastern Creek, and your lads were very young. One of them, I think, months old, end of 96. Um, but that, ironically, was your last race on a privateer 500 because the next year you ended up on a on the Stars and Stripes on the Chrome 250 Honda run Honda, by yeah. Queen's University Belfast. And all of a sudden, you were the giant killer. Was that how you remember it? Yeah, those first couple of years in 500s were very difficult. 
you know, trying to fight against factory V4, 500s on a privateer bike was never going to be easy. And even trying to be top privateer was always very difficult. So it was three or four years actually really battling against the odds, um, you know, beating myself up a lot. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, until the first year I did, in 93, I hardly finished a race. 92, I came back and finished somewhere well up in the championship in terms of, you know, where the privateers sat. And as you say, quickly realized that we weren't going to be competitive on 500. So Q, QB and um, Optum Power Technology, uh, Glenn from uh, Pittsburgh in America, they 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 got a partnership together and put me out on a 250, that TSR 250. And it was a privateer bike with a kit on it. And we started beating some factories and, you know, people started to notice. And uh, that was really whenever the career took off because if I'd stayed on the 500, that probably would have been my last year in GPs. Mm, so a step down and it certainly worked. I mean, a uh, photo behind you of you on the podium at Saxon Ring in 1998. You beat Valentino Rossi that day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I remember I remember it very well. Tell me, the, those, the, those early years on, uh, on the 250, you know, they, they were... A lot of fun. Riding a two fifty to me is still the most awesome experience because it's it is the kind of perfect uh, part of weight uh, motorcycle, I think. And you know, if if you're competitive on one, it's amazing what you can achieve. So yeah, we 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 never thought we would. You know, we went out with the, the idea of look, let's let's get this thing on the podium. You know, we weren't going out thinking, oh, we're privateers and we'll be lucky to finish top ten. We were we were thinking that we could, you know, do or win races and, and, and get podiums on that 250 with QB behind it. And uh, that's that's kind of what happened. We started started getting decent results and, and beating the factory Hondas, which really upset the factory Honda riders. It's a privateer. <laughs> <And then, laughs> yeah, I remember Yukawa. Yukawa wouldn't speak to me after Assen because we'd, we'd been banging bars the whole way through and I finished third at Assen. I think I was about 98. Um and uh, and he, he he just he just obviously wasn't pleased because he was the factory rider. I finished third. Uh, you know, Valentino and maybe Cabarossi or somebody were first and second. As you say, Saxoning was an awesome one, catching Valentino and Cabarossi and passing them both at the Omega, one up after another, and finishing second behind Arada was an, another good memory uh, in all of those. Um, you know, decent results that we had on 250s. But beating Aprilia made them come knocking? How did that all come about? No, I kind of, you know, I think some, sometimes naively you think, oh, I've, I've had a great year, you know, let's go and ask Honda for a factory bike. Honda weren't really interested, you know, they'd, they'd already made their mind up what they were doing, couldn't get anything from Honda. Um, this must have been the end of 99 because I was on a 250 Aprilia. Again, it was just a, a customer uh, kit, as they called it back then. So private, you know, team entry or whatever they call it now. And we with decent results on that Aprilia. And at the end of the year, you know, I, I, I you know, we, well, that's why we, sorry, that's why we jumped on Aprilia because we weren't getting any help from Honda. So we jumped on the Aprilia. And Prilia told us, you know, if you remember back then, you need a couple of Italian mechanics or you're not going to make that thing competitive. They were dead, right? We weren't making any, any inroads at all. 
employed a couple of Italians and they then ran the bike, you know, so lean and, it, you know, we were just throwing pistons at it every single uh, of every single day, you know, at least a set of pistons went into that, that motorcycle. But it, it became competitive and we started beating the factories again. And at the end of that year, then we went back to Aprilia. And I kind of naively thought, okay, it's my turn for a factory Aprilia. And we went down and spoke to Jan Vedafin and Beijing and all the guys uh, down there in Noali. And they said, uh, we haven't got any 250s. You're, you know, it's hard luck, you know, you know, we haven't got any for you. They went away, had lunch, came back and offered me a 500 seat with Harada on the factory 500. So that was 2000 sorted. And a uh, couple of podiums on the 500, but it was very difficult to make that V-twin 500 competitive against the V-4s. Uh, and, you know, as, as much as we did, you know, as much as I could, uh, we could make that bike work. You know, the, a couple of podiums was, was the best we, we got out of that year. You know, leading Donington, Whenever Valentino had his first win, was probably the one that most people remember, and certainly it's 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 the one that I remember from that year. You've skipped uh, ahead a little. You did win a two fifty race at Assen with uh, with Dieter Stappard's team. Um, finally, the the weight off your shoulders. How do you look back on that Saturday that it was? Well, that was actually two thousand and one. Oh, was it two thousand one? Oh, I'm yeah, jumping ahead yeah, of myself. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so we we got the the five hundred, and and this is kind of where my my career's been a, a bit strange. You know, it's been jumping back and forward from different between different classes, which you don't see riders doing very often. Um, five hundred and two thousand. I, I then jumped on a two fifty in two thousand and one. It was Dieter Stappert's uh, Prilia Germany team uh, that that I joined, and they were. Awesome team to ride for. Dieter was a gentleman. Uh, they ran a very, very good professional outfit. And, you know, Assen uh, was the win whenever I chose to, you know, go against team orders and put on the intermediate tires, you know, much to to Dieter's and and, um, and Mike's uh, despair. You know, they wanted me to just to, to do with the front row. I was on the front row and they wanted me to just to go along with Wets like everybody else was using on the front row. You know, Dejiro Kato was there, Melandri was there. Uh, probably, or, uh, who else was there? Myself and I can't even remember the fourth person on the front row because we, we, there were only four abreast at that stage. And I, you know, I, I went out and won it by 12 or 13 seconds. And Willie on the last lap again got scolded for that for playing about whenever I was but you know I had such a I had such a lead I thought well I'm never going to get caught now I might as well have a bit of fun um, and uh, you know that, that that was the win in 2001 the the only 250 win I had quite a few podiums but that was the only win yeah yeah so okay let let's just skip forward to to Kenny Roberts how did that come about did you go to him did he come to you. King Kenny on the phone. <laughs> Kenny, as you know, uh, you never really know whether to take him seriously or not. He's uh, he, he's quite a character, and I honestly had a, a the best couple of years of my life with with uh, Team Roberts. Kenny said to me at the end of two thousand and one because uh, I wanted to get back into the Premier class. <clears throat> I really wanted to jump back on a five hundred. There weren't obviously many options, but Somehow we got we got chatting, and uh, he said, "Look, you know, we've been watching you for a couple of years. We wanted you on this bike. 
in 2000, but you took the factory 500 Aprilia ride. Again, then 2001, we, you know, we were locked in with something else and we couldn't do anything in 2001. It's now 2002. So I joined them and I got a, a two-year uh, deal out of Kenny to stay with them because they were, they knew that they were going to be progressing from the two-stroke up onto the uh, the, the four-stroke whenever th that, that change was taking place, which was uh, 2003. Uh, 2002, we, you know, we finished out the year uh, on on the triple uh, again. That you know, there, we had a we had a pole position, as you know, at Phillip Island, but really couldn't get much above top six. Yeah, but come on, let's just talk about that pole. I mean, you know, was that <laughs> that the lap of all laps? Well, you know, I think you put that effort in every time you ride a GP bike. You know, you're, it's not like you're doing anything different. I, I, you know, I'm, I was always putting that effort in. It just so happened that it came together because of the circuit and Bridgestone tires. You know, Bridgestone were helping. They, they'd just come on board. We were one of the only teams running Bridgestone. Their qualifiers were awesome. Their front tire was awesome, as it was whenever they came back and um, and, and supported the class many years after. But it... You know, Kenny asked me to, okay, I was front row. And he said, that's enough, you know, that, that, that'll do you. Just front row's good enough. And I said, you know, stick a tire into that. And the, usually when Kenny says something, you know, people take notice of him. And Kenny and, and myself are, are, we had a, a good relationship where, you know, where he kind of gave me a bit of a, a bit of free space, you know, much more than he had with other riders. And, uh, said, no, Kenny, I'm going to stick another qualifier into it. He went, ah, come on. I think he kind of expected, you know, me to put it up the road. And uh, <laughs> we put the qualifier and went out and, you know, set, set the pole position. Uh, whilst he, he looked on and uh, looked very cool. I remember looking at the cameras afterwards when I was watching it play back. It looked very cool, but I know on, underneath it all, he was, he was more worried about me getting to the, the end of the of that session. So yeah, that was about it. Uh, pole position on a triple at Phillip Island. It's, it's no big thing unless you can follow it up with a, a podium. We couldn't do that. Mm, yeah, but you're battling against the might of the V5s. I mean, holy smoke, you know, one of the best motorcycles ever, yeah. ever hewn by human hand. Um, so uh, yeah, your, your Saturday was your day. Um, the um, What's your best Kenny story? <laughs> There's quite a few. <laughs> Uh, That's public. Kenny, <laughs> well, I don't know if this one's public or not, but I'll, because you put me on the spot now. So, I mean, we, there, there's so many, but the, I think the most fun we had was going to Kenny's ranch. And it's the only day that he doesn't have insurance on the ranch. And I didn't realize this until we got there, but all kinds of things go on, you know. There's a lot of shooting <laughs> on the ranch. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of motocross and obviously riding on the, the flat tracks and we kind of did everything, you know, went through everything and he basically got magnums out and we're shooting stuff with magnums and then we're, we got the shotguns out and we're, we, we got clay pigeons out, we're, we're, we're hitting all kinds of stuff and you know, then you understand why he doesn't have any insurance or they won't give him any insurance because he invited the insurance brokers up one day for his birthday. His birthday's always on this day. Uh, coming up to New Year, and uh, in invited the insurance brokers up. And once they saw what went on, that was it. They pulled his insurance on that day. 
And uh, that evening we were all, you know, had a few beers and celebrating his birthday. We were all in the hot tub and uh, all the girls were in, you know, with not much on. And Kenny said, I think it's time for us all to get out. And the girls said, uh, it's okay, Kenny, we're, we're, we're happy. We're, we're, we're okay. We'll, you go on if you want. So uh, he went, uh, okay. So he jumped out and uh, proceeded to turn around and wee into the hot tub. So everybody else jumped out of the hot tub. <laughs> Typical Kenny stuff. But, very yeah, Kenny. Was, uh, very Kenny. <laughs> very, very Kenny. Oh, yeah. You had some fun. It was a good atmosphere in that garage. Uh, it was, you know, it was, yeah. a, it was a, a British Anglo-American garage and there was good vibe. Good vibe. It, yeah, he, it, he, he's not the most PC, as you know, but... Um, it, it was always funny to work with him in the evening. You know, it was nice to relax because you could kind of get away and not think about too much about, you know, what was ahead. Um, we always had together and, uh, you know, exchanged stories. And there were a lot of ones, you know, a lot of stories that, that you probably couldn't repeat. But, uh, yeah, there were, there were good, good fun days and best years, you know, I can remember in my career just working with a team that, uh, like Kenny's good, really good bunch of guys. Tom O'Kane was an amazing, amazing crew chief. As you know, he's gone on to work with Suzuki and and now he's with Yamaha. And he was a genius back then. So, you know, we we did achieve you know quite good things together with with that triple, even in 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 light of the you know the competition changing at the time from V four right on to V five four stroke, but. You know the, the the only the only downside of the of the whole KR thing was whenever they produced their own V five, it not being competitive. Mm. Was it just that, ahead that of its time with the Barnard F one ideas though? It, it was it was it was disappointing. I think Kenny it, it kind of broke Kenny. You know he he was he he was really really shattered about the whole thing not being competitive because he he wanted the best for us. He wanted the best for the team, and. In the end, there was a lot of very good technology that went on in the motorcycle, but it just did not have the performance. It didn't make the horsepower that it needed to make. It, certainly, that they had, uh, uh, you know, planned for it to make. It wasn't anywhere near close, and uh, and I much preferred to ride the three-cylinder two-stroke <laughs> than I did the V five. Mm-hmm. So you 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 went from the flying frying pan into the fire, literally. Because you went back to Aprilia and you rode the Cube, the Triple. Yeah, that you know, Kenny wanted me to stay, and they, they wanted they they had all kinds of ideas for, to to make it more competitive in two thousand and four. This was, and Aprilia had kind of contacted me again, and said, "Look, will you come and ride the Cube after Colin Edwards vacated the seat?" And I, you know, I said, "Well, it's difficult to to, to turn a factory." down whenever a factory make that approach it's very difficult to you know to say no i'm going to stay where i am but aprilia promised you know that the bike was going to be better and um and they were serious you know they 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 wanted a two-year contract i decided to take a one year uh because i wasn't sure that it was going to be competitive i've been watching the bike you know we always remember remember some of the stuff you know Edwards, whenever the bike went and fire at Saxon Ring, and you know the battle that they had him and Haga, I think it was trying to get the bike near the front. And you know, I asked Colin years later. I said, "Why did you not tell me? You know how uncompetitive it was before when I was signing that contract? Because we knew each other quite well." And uh, he said, "Well, you didn't ask, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, you know, I signed the contract." Uh, Shaky also signed for, he signed up for two year. I signed for a one year. 
the whole thing only happened, it, it, it stopped after one year. And uh, we didn't have very many good, good results on it. It was, it was a Formula One technology, three cylinders of a Formula One engine. And it had no inertia on the engine. It was basically, it revved about 17,000 RPM like like lightning and and every time you came off the corner you know it would it would get into peak horse power peak, or peak torque just as you're on the on the apex of the corner and uh, it flung me up the road I, I don't know how many times it was such a difficult bike to ride and then um you know I, did it sound as good on the bike as it was for us watching you? it 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 was really it, it actually made your your chest kind of reverberate it was it, it it was pretty horrendous it was pretty horrible thing to ride because it was so loud that you know earplugs didn't really do anything for you whatsoever. Um, pretty, but it had a megaphone exhaust. It had a megaphone exhaust, yeah. And, and I, I kept asking, "Can you please take that off?" And you know, pretty were absolutely determined to keep it on because everybody loved the sound of it. And it was so loud, uh, you know, you could hear it from any part of the the, the circuit. It was. It did sound like a Formula One engine. Um, I uh, in the end, I did get it changed for, I think one one meeting somewhere and then they changed it back again but it, it hurt your ears it hurt your it, it you know you're just the, the, the standing anywhere near it the the vibrations that that, that 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 shot through your body if you're anywhere close to it because it was it was so loud i don't know 140 db or something whoa it was uh, it, it was pretty horrendous but they did at one stage have hold at the highest top speed so you know they they, they they were achieving some of their goals. It just you just couldn't put it together and put a whole lap together. And then that stopped after one year. And KTM actually asked me at the end of the year would I come and test their new GP bike. I had to ask Gigi Delaney, who was the was the manager of of the Aprilia team at the time, and he said, "Well, you can't really because you're under contract to Aprilia." And I pleaded with him and pleaded with him because the that the the cube. Um, program was stopping at the end of 04 and I said look I don't have a ride for next year I need I need to do something I haven't taken the two year contract you know Shiggy took it and he got paid for the two years even though <laughs> they didn't run in 05 and I I, I was looking for a, a ride got KTM came and said played with me to come and test and I managed to talk Gigi into it he let me away for two or two and a half hours at Hareth in November and we got that KTM within about one second of Cap Rossi's fastest time on the Ducati. So just to, was, just to reiterate for people who might not be as au fait as, as Jeremy and I are, that was a KTM V4, V4 put yeah, into it, a Roberts chassis. chassis. So they've taken yeah. the V5 Barnard Roberts engine out and put mm-hmm. a V4 990 from KTM into it. Yep, exactly, yeah. Um, we, with no aids, no traction control, nothing, and it was. I, I remember the bike. It it, it actually had a, a a lovely power delivery. Yeah, it was difficult to ride it with no traction control and stuff with with that kind of horsepower because it was probably still making two hundred and forty horsepower back then, way back in 04 or two hundred and thirty horsepower. And as I say, got within one second of the fastest time of the day, which was Caparossi's. Came back in. Uh, Kurt Treve and uh, Wolfgang Weber said, thanks very much, you've done a good job. Um, that'll probably be enough to get us across the line for next year. And, you know, I subsequently, I was then offered a contract for 05. 
Um, through one reason or another, there's no point going into it, but it didn't happen because, uh, you know, Dorna, BBC had joined in with uh, the TV rights and stuff and uh, they they preferred to have somebody else on it and uh, I, I didn't get the contract in the end. But the, you know, my, I've, I've stayed very close to KTM ever since and still working for them, all, you know, all of these years later. So it's worked out for the better for me. I'm not being morbid. Um, it's it's something that's just bizarre. Didn't you lose the tip of your finger with that with that Aprilia? Uh, no, actually, it wasn't. Uh, that was that was a couple of years later with Ilmore. It was with the Ilmore, which I'm yeah. about to come to. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. you, you lost the tip of your finger, but you've got your fingerprint on the back of your <laughs> yeah. finger. So you said you said to me, "Oh, there you go. I can see it on the screen." He, Jeremy says he puts his hand in his pocket and he feels like his hand is the wrong <laughs> way around because he's his his fingerprint is on Isn't the back, back of yeah, his that's finger. That's just the way they made the. Uh, oh, it was funny. It, I'm, I'm going to laugh about it now. But um, 07, I was on the Ilmore uh, with a contract to race. The, the 800, as they'd changed to then. <clears throat> I was testing it at Jerez uh, at the end of, must have been the end of 07. I guess. So we were, we were, must have been preparing for 08. End of 06. 06, sorry, yeah, for 07 then. Yeah, okay. Glad your memory's better than mine. Just just shows how much I have, <laughs> I think of these <laughs> things. That, to me, it's, it's, it's all history, but it's in the past and it could be any year. And yeah, I, yeah, I went I went testing in November. I had a big big crash, uh, turn four. It's a it's 160 kilometers per hour at the apex, which is about 100 miles an hour, and uh, or a bit more. And it, it went it went down so quickly. My finger got trapped onto the bike. Uh, I also broke a femur and some ribs and a collarbone. <laughs> but uh, the the finger was badly damaged. I went into a Spanish hospital that night. Hoping that they would fix my femur, got up, come come out of it the next morning, and my femur still wasn't fixed, and they'd taken the tip, they'd cut my finger off. So, signed myself out of that hospital, went to a private medical, and got the femur fixed, and funnily enough, came back and had to have it done again when I got home to Belfast. So it wasn't oh, a great uh, end end of the year. In if that's when it was 06, it it wasn't. A, I remember trying to get back home for the boys at Christmas. And uh, I had the femur repaired again at the Belfast Royal Victoria Hospital on the 21st or 22nd of December and managed to get back out on the 24th. And then had to, had to lie downstairs for a couple of weeks and then back on the Ilmore again. We went testing and then unfortunately at, after Qatar, that, that, that whole uh, program basically just stopped because of lack of funding. Mm. Um, or was, lack it a of good, was it a good package? Was there something there? Yeah, uh, they definitely had something. Uh, you know, they subsequently went on to keep testing on and off and, and found that they, you know, they got within probably uh, about, about 0.6 or something or 0.8 of, of, of one of the fastest 800 laps somewhere near the end of that year. But I... Uh, I'd kind of left the, the program and went and I was doing some other bits and pieces. One of them was with um, with KTM on their IDM bikes whenever they were racing the RC8s. I was test riding for them and they went on to win the IDM, the German championship on the RC8. And you know, that's, that's kind of when 
my um, career with as a test rider sort of kicked off with them, uh, 08, 09, and then when I really joined them um, more, not 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 as full time, but uh, as a subcontractor in 2010, 11. And you're still testing for them now with the big bikes. You're you're on the the big stuff. Um, well, most of the time, I'm trying to get hold of you. You're in sunnier climbs testing suspension or tires or traction control or something secret squirrel that you can't tell me about (laughs) (laughs) i'm just i've just returned from uh from spain actually yesterday uh working on the 2025 gt you know which is a a 1290 gt or or thereabouts big motorcycle so yeah it's it's good it's 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 a it's it's an awesome job you know i'm working on everything from semi-active suspension to traction control um wheelie control we've we've introduced as well uh obviously launch control uh cornering abs and then all of the aftermarket suspension parts that we add to super dukes and uh, Super Dukes are, are the RR version, the limited edition version. So I've, uh, it's a it's an awesome job to be working with such a, a, a you know a, a cool brand and uh, and working on such cool motorcycles. You did some time, and maybe you still are on the roads. What what made you make the jump over to the roads in your part of the world? Uh, just to ride to ride the Northwest Two Hundred. The, the big thing here is obviously you know. You're rather you're usually classed as a as a car park racer or a road racer. That's kind of how <laughs> the you know the, the locals here <laughs> look determine. At you. Yeah, look at you. Go, oh, yeah, he's only an old car park racer. He'll not do very well on the roads. So it was kind of that too. You know, I'd, I'd lost a lot of friends. You know, through road racing, and that kind of put me off it uh, to, to some extent until later in my career when I was kind of missing racing. 2012, I had the option to go back with. Uh, or to, to join RAN and actually go on to the roads. So to go back racing was a, yeah, it was, it was a big step for me and quite a nerve wracking one as well to, to, to just to turn up the Northwest 200, never having ridden a road race other than, I have to say, 1993, the Mackay Grand Prix. So I'd, I'd done that with Joe Miller in 93 and, and actually won the first leg of it. Beating Hizzy and uh, Robert Dunlop, both they were both on Rock Yamahas, and I was on on Joe's five hundred Yamaha, Yamaha. So once I did that, uh, riding the Mackay, it was kind of like sketchy, really. You know, it's an Armco barrier the whole way around. So looking at the Northwest two hundred, it, it kind of looked way way safer to be racing at the Northwest two hundred than it did Mackay, and that's kind of why I decided to do it. So Ryan Farquhar offered me super a super twin, and he was racing. And uh, we'd, we had a nice year that year. We had a one, two, three. Ram was first, I was second. Michael Rutter was third on on those Super Twins. So it was a nice introduction to what I have spent my whole life going to and watching from a very young age to go, and, you know, go to the Northwest 200 and to be watching it from the outside, to actually get in to the paddock and be racing was a, something quite different and 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 still this day it's very difficult to describe just how exciting it is to be part of that paddock and if you stand on the podium it's it's as good as standing on a a gp podium to be honest with you there's so many people around that place 
they come to visit and it's such a competitive every class is so competitive that to, to win one I think I've won for three now and quite a few podiums it's uh it's as good as winning a GP mm, I mean the one thing you haven't said is it's hell of a circuit I mean you you must get the thrill of all thrills yeah it's it is so different to be bombing out to university you know for about feels like about two miles flat in the tank in sixth gear um, and I've ridden in every class I've ridden super bike and super stock super sport super twin uh, I've, 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 I've raced in every single class and I think my preferred classes are actually the stock 1000 it's it's a, it's an easier bike to ride than the super bike at that track because the super bike it makes just that little bit too much power it's kind of wheeling and weaving its way all the way out to university and bouncing off every everything in the road. Kind of hard to keep it under control with a super stock bike. It's just that little bit more rider friendly. And then super sport is awesome. You know, I had a third last year in a wet race against Davy Todd and Alice Arcelli. Um That was a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> just hiking, riding around the Northwest in the rain be fun. I bet, you know, people are asking, but... To me, uh, it if if you're confident with with wet riding, it's a, it's an awesome experience to be riding around there and and to stand on the podium again in, in an old cold wet Thursday after you know evening was again as much fun as as you could ever have. Sprint races in MotoGP, a sprint race on a Saturday. What are your thoughts? Is it is it too risky for a rider, or is it great entertainment as a viewer? Which side of the fence are you on? Well, I, I think you know how they they, they introduced the, the sprint races. You know, basically just expecting teams to to you know accept and get on with it. That's just part of the part of the weekend. I, I was a little bit kind of on the other side of the fence until I saw the sprint race and the sprint race is awesome. It's absolutely incredible. It's the best part of the weekend right now. And they should just make two sprint races. But yeah, I think I felt for the riders, you know, having to put everything on the line on the sprint race. And and what I mean by putting everything on the line is, you know, risking injury and then missing the main event, which which obviously has an effect on their overall championship, uh, status you know whether they'll they'll be there or not at the end so it's it's another risk uh, uh and as long as the riders are being well rewarded for it then absolutely get on with it but you know if they're if they're just expected to to to, to put everything on the line in the sprint race you can understand why some riders were probably against it and maybe still are against it but anyhow yeah uh, for us as uh, spectators it is absolutely awesome and you know, I think it's 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 a great spectacle, and look when you see what happens in a sprint race, it completely changes the whole dynamic of how riders attack. You know, Brad Binder winning on the KTM because he's willing to put just a little bit more on the line. To and 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 if you get to the front, you don't have to worry about tire management any longer. It's basically just wide, wide open, and that's it. And it's so it makes for a great spectacle, and yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad they've, they've introduced it now after watching it. Um, mm. They should just have three sprint races. <laughs> yeah, well, I got through. I got halfway through the main Sunday Grand Prix for Argentina, and I said to my wife, and I went, hmm, bored now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> relatively speaking, <laughs> it, it's 2020 cricket compared with a five-day test match, isn't yeah. it? it? All of a it sudden, is, is. Yeah. 
it's all about the now, the now, the now. And after only two sprints, can't say race, it's a sprint. Um, it's like, oh yeah, we want more of that. And yeah, why don't we have a sprint race on a on a Sunday afternoon? Maybe three. Maybe that's a little bit too much. But yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is it, it it is awesome, but um, it does throw that extra uh, just risk up for for everybody. And because it's a sprint race, everybody attacks it the same way. Muscle your way through and try to win. If you can get near the front, you're going to be on the podium because there's not so many laps. But yeah, look, it it is what it is. And and MotoGP maybe needed a bit of a mix up. And you know because it did every every other class, you know, I'm sitting watching BSB today, you know, they got three races. Um, World Supers, same thing too. Uh, so they they kind of probably had to follow suit, you know, or, or lose that, or risk losing mm, uh, viewers. Mm, sure, sure, sure. What, what did you? What did you? Let's just step back just a little bit to when you were on a bike in Grand Prix. What did you learn following a Valentino? Or what did you pick up? Or what was a moment when you thought you're a bit bloody good? You are. His consistency, you know, he just watching how he was able to control races for so many of those seasons uh, going to the front and uh, you know and he just had something that little bit extra over everybody else at the time uh, a little bit like you know the Mark Marquez phase when when Mark started to dominate and win world championships you know and now we're into the next phase of the, you know the Bagnias and uh, do you think Mark has finished? I don't think the Honda is is is, is any way capable. Um, and if you put Mark onto Ducati, he, he would be another Bagnaya. You know, he would just be able to to win races on 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 another manufacturer's bike. Maybe not in the Yamaha, but he certainly could on on an Aprilia or a, or a Ducati right now. And that's that's the kind of nature of MotoGP. You know, the, the, it it goes in these waves where manufacturers become more competitive. You know, look how uncompetitive the Ducati has been. At the beginning, you know how, how you know the the Valentino year when he went, you know how bad that was for him, um, you know, and and how Casey was able to to make it work, and it's just we, you know we're just going through these the these these phases of you know the Valentino years, the Casey years, you know the the Mark Marquez years, and now it's going to be the Bagnaia and uh, well probably going to be a Ducati boys years for the next couple of years. So do you rate Bagnaia as as very very good or just the best at the moment just the best at the moment and um i i think he'll probably struggle more so to you know be consistently good year on year because there's so many good riders at the minute at his level whereby in the valentino years there weren't just as many of riders who could fight right at the front um, uh, I, the, 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 with the nature of aero and everything else coming into effect now, that's made a lot of the bikes are are, are much much more even. Uh, you know, you, there's not a big disparity between manufacturers, except maybe the Honda. Yeah, it was a it was a much more spread out grid with regards to time when you were on a on a on a MotoGP grid compared with the what one second covering 14 people in a 100 yeah. second lap at the moment it's uh, it's much much closer yeah yeah what do you what are your thoughts about aero uh, do you like the look of it do you think prototype is prototype and should be a, a space race or i think the the aero is probably uh, and i know a lot of people are going to 
disagree with me on this here, but I think it's needed at the minute. Um, why is it needed? Well, it's needed because the bikes are 300 horsepower and you know you can't expect riders to basically to control wheelie and you know uh, uh, everything else that goes with with that kind of performance right now without some kind of aid you know okay why not just add wheelie control well yeah you add wheelie control but what it does it basically just turns your horsepower right away down to whatever you can manage or whatever the 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 wheelie Mm -hmm. control manages on the motorcycle which is a lot less horsepower so they're able to use more horsepower and more cornering speed because of aero right now so there's a bit of an aero race on and look you know companies like red bull will be helping ktm because they've got great aero knowledge and other manufacturers i'm sure you know are using like ducati will be using some Ferrari you know, stuff, yeah. Some Ferrari and Audi's technology as well. Mm-hmm. I I think that it's, they're not going to ban it because I think teams will be will be fighting for it now that they've kind of understood how to use it and how it, it helps with cornering forces. It makes the bike much more difficult to ride because it makes it really super heavy. So riders have have even had to become even. More physically, you know, adapt themselves to be able to to run with aero because it's so difficult to change direction. But uh, you know, because we tried it way back in '04 and we pulled it straight off the bike. It was Gigi Delaney, funnily enough, back then in Aprilia, who came up with it and stuck wings on our bike from Mugello because of the wheelie in sixth gear over the the, the start finish or after the start finish. He put wings on it and, and actually it fixed it. But then when you got to turn one or change of direction, particularly through our Beato 1 and 2, the real fast left and then into right. It was so difficult to, for, for us to change direction on the bike that I convinced him to take them back off it again. And um, and obviously when he's, he's moved to Ducati, he was instrumental in putting aero onto the Ducatis and everybody else followed suit. Mm. Breaking distances a lot shorter. Having a long conversation with Tom O'Kane the other month, and he said, "Ah, oh, it's just ridiculous how it's collapsed. You know, it is very physical, but uh, difficult to uninvent technology, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, be a backward step. But they took it off right now, and you know, I, I, I think just let teams get on with it because it, it also makes it such a more prototype class, which is, which which is really what what a GP should be." And when you look at the bikes now, if you look at the Ducati, it, it is quite a, a, a feat of uh, engineering. Just, just looking at the bike when you look at it up close. And if you, if you look at, if you go to somewhere like ICMA, like we do, I was there last year with, with Indian motorcyclists because I'm, I'm racing in the States right now. And they, they brought a, one of the, our King of the Baggers over. I was able to go and walk around the, this show and to, to look at the bikes that the Honda looks so so dated compared to where the Ducati is right now in technology. I was just about to ask you about your American sojourn. So you're on a KTM twelve ninety testing one week, and then you're you're on something rather different the next week in America. <laughs> your love of home with America will never lie down. Yeah, I, I, I do really like racing in America. I love the the, the circuits. Um, some of them are a little bit more gnarly than others, but it's it's a great place to race. It's a it's you know it's great racing for Indian. They are very very 
uh, enthusiastic about about trying to beat Harley Davidson, as as is Harley Davidson trying to beat Indian, which makes the whole thing quite an interesting um, the thing to be part of, because you wouldn't believe just how competitive both the manufacturers are in, in, in trying to win over uh, spectators and fans. So yeah, it's a, King of the Bagger is a 290 kilogram cruiser that's been turned into a race bike that, that now gets around some of the racetracks within about three and a half seconds of superbike times. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they've they've they, these things are making you know I, I'm I'm not exactly sure what horsepower but because they don't tell us exactly but there's there's over 180 horsepower and there's over 180 newton meters of torque. <laughs> so they, does it tow the trailer to the track? Does it? <laughs> <laughs> you probably are. You definitely could. I mean, they're, they're they're a lot of fun when you get them right. Too. They're actually a lot of fun to to race around the bank in like in Daytona. We had an issue with with tires this year. My tires delaminated whilst you know running third. Uh, sorry, front tire delaminated uh, in both races. Uh, you know, with 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 inside a podium, which was very disappointing because I'd won a race in Daytona the year before using the same tire. And you know, what's what's the reason for that happening? Well, we're 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 now lapping a couple of seconds quicker, and we're you know going. 180 something miles per hour now on one of uh, those yeah compared to whatever it was 170 a year ago so it's they they keep progressing and the factories keep throwing technology at it and keep 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 evolving and trying to make the bike better and so it's an it's an important class because like every new class is important when it's introduced that you know it it, it gives a different it brings a different audience it's, it's completely different it looks different the you know, uh, there's there's lots of places where you can watch sports bikes, but you don't get to see many cruisers racing around the bank in at Daytona. Well, you better get uh, the organisers of that uh, that class to have a word with Carmelo at Dorna, and I'm sure that you'll have a support <laughs> race at Murray <laughs> There was a talk. There, there was talk of us running at Coda last year. They and uh, uh, I think the teams kind of it. They they decided not to let us run. I don't know for what reason, but probably because it would have taken away from the main <laughs> the main event. Uh, yeah, well, but I've, there's a, an eight round championship, all double headers at the moment that, that we're, I'm taking part in in Moto America and uh, enjoying every minute of it. So back again next week, back again, sorry, this week testing and back again next week for the next round, which is Road Atlanta. Oh, that's a big place. That's a big place. There's not many circuits that you uh, that you haven't ridden on, but what what's What's the memory that always makes you smile from the inside about Grand Prix? What What was the one day or one moment or just something that you go, oh, that was pretty cool? Uh, there, there's there's so many. I get asked that question quite a bit, and I can never really put my finger on what what uh, just one of them. There's there's a number. I, I have to say, leading the race at Daytona, or at, sorry, should I say at uh, Donington? Yeah, on hindsight, I might have done it a bit, a little bit differently. I, you know, I showed my hand too early and went at it and kind of destroyed my tire. But it was still an awesome memory. Um, the podium on the Aprilia uh, in in Mugello was pretty special because Valentino and Max Biaggi were having a battle right in front of me, and they were cutting, they just taking lumps out of each other as they always did, and then 
took each other off and, and, and left me in third position. But third position on an Italian bike at Mugello was 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 a big enough achievement, you know, for me back then and for, for Aprilia it was an awesome day for them as well. So the certainly that second at Saxon Ring. I, I think you might remember that one quite well when Robert Fleck fell over the wall yeah. or he said he was pushed. Poor guy, he got knocked off. <laughs> broke his they? nose as I crossed the line. In the days before they put fencing up uh, on the on the pit lane, so you could basically your your team were virtually out on the on the race circuit as you came across. Yeah. But yeah, there's there was lots of uh, lots of great memories, and I think the um, certainly you know that pole position was was a lot of fun with 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 Kenny you know that that evening. Uh, just the when the, when the team were telling me, you know, how he definitely wasn't very happy about about me going back out on the and having another go at it. <laughs> he should have short fueled you, <laughs> but he, it was all a bit too late. <laughs> yeah, good days, good days. Well, well, anyway, I've I've enjoyed every minute commentating on you, and I always enjoy catching up with you, Jeremy. Thank you for your time. Uh, don't be a stranger, and uh, thank you for all the memories. Yeah, great to speak with you, Toby. Lovely, uh, just going through it again and. Yeah, uh, I hope um, hope to speak to you again. Maybe in the future we'll do another one. Ten years from now, and on on the next part of my career, <laughs> or the next part of MotoGP, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll dig out some photos and I'll we'll we'll, we'll get them to the race social media guys. And uh, I've got a picture of you and your manager Drew, Julian, myself, your wife Jill, Simon Walster, who was our Eurosport producer. Was it John who was your motorhome driver? Yes, yeah. Massimo, yeah, right. yeah. who was yes. a mechanic for you and a mate yeah. of mine from school and we're all in your motorhome and we're all having a beer. <laughs> which was a, you see, that, a that's the way it was. <laughs> that's the way it was back then on a Sunday evening. You could have everybody around, and I remember uh, on a Sunday evening having a barbecue at the back, and you know Nicky Head would come over and Troy Bayless and Colin Edwards, and you know, and we all sitting. And Nicky was the only one who who would only have a a soft drink, and everybody else would would all had a had a beer and and a chat and a bit of a laugh about the race. You know, MotoGP is not like that any longer. I don't I don't envisage that these guys are getting together on a Sunday night and having a beer and having a laugh about the race. And 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 by the way, on the trophy in the middle of this pit, on the table is the trophy. There you go. I'll forward it to you. I'll forward it to you. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Um, the first of our MotoGP extra guests here on the race. We look forward to more coming up very soon. Keep in touch with the-race.com for all of your MotoGP, Formula One, IndyCar and Formula E and eSports news. From myself, Toby Moody, thank you for listening. We will all speak to you very soon. Bye-bye for now. The Athletic.